the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is the binding of Satan for a thousand years. We are looking at this event in depth here today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Join us. The binding of Satan and the casting down of Satan for a thousand years. What does this millennial reign look like? What does the binding of Satan look like? We're exploring this here today on Abounding Grace and the rest of this week. We invite you to spend time with us today as we get clarification on the thousand-year reign, this millennium. And as we take a look at the binding of Satan yesterday and today, we'll go on the rest of the week and next week to focus on the opposite, the reign of Christ. But for now, here's Pastor Gary in Revelation 20 with another look at the binding of Satan. In this text, Jesus teaches that his ability to cast out demons is clear proof that by his first coming, the incarnation, he has bound Satan in order to plunder his house in order to rescue and deliver those who are in bondage to him. Now here is the great point. The Greek word for binds in Matthew 12, 29, unless he first binds the strong man, is the exact same word translated bound in Revelation 20, verse 2. So what John is telling us when he writes about the binding of Satan that begins the thousand-year period is to remember what Jesus said, which was, My ability to perform miracles, to advance the kingdom of God, to save the lost, is proof that I have bound the strong man so as to plunder his house. So the point is, the binding of Satan was accomplished in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it continues through the faithful preaching of Christ. Now, how do we come to that conclusion? Of course, by letting Scripture interpret Scripture. So we see Jesus saying that in the first century, during his life on earth, he bound Satan and he remains bound. Remember Romans 16, the God of peace will crush Satan's head under your feet shortly. Remember the preaching of the 70 preachers, that Satan continued to fall through their faithful preaching of the gospel, that Satan's restraint began when Christ began to bind Satan with his life, death, and resurrection 2,000 years ago, and now continues throughout history in the faithful preaching of the gospel of Christ. Scripture explains Scripture. But now people will say, and have definitely said, How in the world can you say that Satan is chained and bound and cast into the bottomless pit in the light of all the evil that we see in the world? Well, number one, sinners can very well sin without any assistance from Satan. But the second thing is, 
To say that Christ has restrained Satan and bound him is not at all to say that he has absolutely no influence upon life. Because remember, the same Bible says that Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and you have to resist him. So Jesus is saying it is not that Satan is now so restrained that he has absolutely no influence at all ever in the world to do anything bad. You ask, well, how do you get that? Well, you just read the text. Revelation 20 says that Satan is chained with reference to one thing, not with reference to all of his actions, but with reference to one particular action. It says in verse 3, And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So Jesus isn't saying that Satan is so bound that he can't do anything, that he can be of absolutely no influence on anyone, because that would contradict what the Bible says elsewhere. But Satan is restrained with reference to one thing. And that is with reference to his ability to deceive the nations. So now you ask, are you telling me that Satan is not deceiving the nations in 2020? No, I'm not telling you that. That's what Revelation 20 says. It says that Christ has restrained Satan so that he is not able to deceive the nations any longer. So you ask, well, how in the world can you say that the nations of the world are not deceived? Now, remember, we're not talking about total inactivity. But all you have to do, now listen to this, is to know history and compare the nations of the world and Satan's activity before the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and then after his redemptive work. Before the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, Satan deceived all of the nations constantly. In fact, if you wanted to become a believer, you had to go to Jerusalem to become a Jew. And if there was anyone anywhere else in the world that was a believer, it was quite rare. You only read about Job and Melchizedek in the Bible. Very few people anywhere else in the whole world believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Outside the covenant people of God, there was darkness. The nation of, nations of this world were deceived, but beginning with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and the evangelistic mission of the church to the four corners of the world, we have seen millions upon millions of people from all over the world, virtually every nation in the world, over the past 2,000 years, coming to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a total contrast to what life was like before the birth of Christ. There was a handful of people in the whole world outside of Israel that could be considered believers. Now Christ has curtailed that evil influence, the deception of Satan on the nations, so that Christ now draws all kinds of people to himself. John twelve thirty one. Now this is the judgment of the world. 
And the ruler of this world is cast out. And the great proof is, Christ says, I will draw all kinds of people to myself from all over the world. So Satan is bound, he is restrained, only in this sense. And that is, he is no longer able to totally blind the nations and keep them from coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have the Great Commission, remember, to make all of the nations Christ's disciples. And Christ has prepared the way as all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And he will present with us. He will be present with us until the end of time. Satan is no longer, my friends, an insurmountable threat. Now, how long is Satan going to be bound? Well, the text says, for the better part of a thousand years. Verses 2 and 3. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released a short time. So, except for a short time... Toward the end of this thousand-year period, Satan is bound by Christ. So now we know the termination point, and we know the beginning of the thousand years. The thousand years ends in verse 11 with Judgment Day, and it began with the binding of Satan 2,000 years ago when Jesus cast out demons. But you say, well, Gary... I know you're not very good with numbers, and you certainly didn't graduate from Stanford. But it doesn't come out to be a thousand years from the binding of Satan to the second coming. At this point, it has already been 2,000 years. And who knows how many more years remain. Well, I'm just telling you what it says here. And we have looked at Scripture. And we've seen that the thousand-year period ends with a judgment day. It began with the binding of Satan, and Satan was bound in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago and remains to this very day and will continue to be bound until right before judgment day. So how do we explain it? Well, we don't manipulate the text. And we can't be crass literalists because that is contrary to the interpretive principles that we got from Revelation 1. We can't say right off the bat that a thousand years means a thousand years. That must mean a thousand, a thousand years. We've already seen it can't mean a literal thousand years if my interpretation is correct. But we're going to see that in the Bible, a thousand years just doesn't mean a thousand. Remember, numbers in the book of Revelation are figurative. For instance, do you remember it says there were seven spirits before the throne, and the seven spirits before the throne is a name for the Holy Spirit? So if that is literal, then there are nine persons in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and seven spirits before the throne. So numbers in the book of Revelation are figurative, not to be interpreted literally. So crass literalism is out, but also arbitrary spiritualization and allegorizing is not permitted. 
we cannot go and allegorize anything we want to fit in our scheme of things. You can't just impose any kind of interpretation on the Bible to make it fit your system. You've got to ask the question, how does the Bible interpret the word thousand? So let's see. Turn to Deuteronomy 1, verses 10 and 11. Deuteronomy 1, verses 10 and 11. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and and behold, you are this day like the stars of heaven in number, or a multitude. May the Lord God of your fathers increase you a thousandfold more than you are now, and bless you just as he has promised you. So here you see the word thousand used in a figurative way to indicate vastness. You can't take it literally here. May the Lord God of your fathers increase you a thousandfold, but not a thousand and onefold. Not one more blessing than a thousand than you are. God is not going to bless you more than a thousand more. That's it. Obviously, that is not what he means. The word thousand here is figurative for vastness, largeness, or a multitude. And in our text, we mean a vast number, greater numbers than we are now. Listen to Psalm 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills, but not on the thousand and first hill. If a thousand means a thousand, it is a literal number. So the only cattle that God owns, is on a thousand hills, and after that they belong to someone else, right? So to say that every beast in the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills, is to refer to the total amount of all of the cattle on all of the hills of the world. The writer of the book of Revelation uses numbers in figurative ways. You have seen that the persecution of the church will last one hour, It says one place, and three and a half days in another place. Does that mean that in all of church history, that is the grand literal amount of time the church was persecuted from one hour to three and a half days? Of course not. It is a way of saying that the persecution of the church and the victory of the enemies of the church lasts one hour or three and a half days or a short period of time, while the reign of the church lasts for a thousand years or a long period of time. And just like three and a half days and one hour are not literal, so a thousand is not literal. It refers to that long and entire period of time, that vast period of time of Christ's reign on earth. Christ has been reigning since his first coming, and he will reign until his second coming. And the millennium has reference to that whole period of time figuratively, the vast period of time that began with the binding of Satan at Christ's first advent, and it includes the great white throne judgment at the second coming. Now listen, this is very important. 
everything mentioned in Revelation as taking place during this thousand year period is spoken of as being true for the church right now in various other places of the Bible. Let me say it again. Whatever the 20th chapter of Revelation says is true of the church during the thousand year period. You can go elsewhere in the Bible and see that the Bible is saying that those things are true of the church right now except for one thing. And that is the release of Satan that takes place at the end. Now some people have a problem with this view because they assume that when we use the word millennium, we're speaking of a utopian period of time. A utopian that lasts for a thousand years. But we've seen that it can't, that we can't take that time literally. The Bible doesn't use the word millennium literally when it's used like this, especially. And the book of Revelation says that it began with the binding of Satan, which was 2,000 years ago. So we know, or, or who knows actually, how long the millennium is. We know it's more than a thousand years. So it is that the whole vast period of time between Christ's death and his second coming. But another problem people have with our view is how can you say we are in the millennium in light of all the evil in the world? There's no utopia here. We would be the first to say to you, you're right, there is no utopia on earth. And you know, the only people who are trying to build the utopian on earth are the humanists, the Unitarians and the socialists and George Soros and his dupes. There will be no utopia on earth until the second coming of Christ, beloved. As long as there are Wagner descendants in this world, there will never be a utopia. I can promise you that. There will be sinners in this world until the second coming. But as time goes on, Things are going to get a lot better under the blessing of the preaching of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. So don't think when I talk about this great millennium, I'm talking about some utopian perfect state. But it will be more peaceful as time goes on and the gospel permeates all societies. There's nothing more powerful than the word of God. During the millennium, this vast period of time, there will be tremendous gospel success. But there will also be battles as well. Just look at verse 9. The army camp of the saints is going to be attacked during the thousand-year reign. So it's not only going to be a period of great gospel prosperity. It is also going to be a time of warfare. Sometimes the warfare will be more intense than at other times, but... There will always be an assault on the camp of the saints during this thousand-year reign. Now, let me make some conclusions. First, in Revelation 21 through 3, the binding of Satan and the fact that he is hurled into the abyss to remain for a thousand years indicates that throughout this present gospel age, Satan's influence on earth is curtailed so that he is unable to prevent the extension of the church and the success of the Great Commission among the nations by means of any active missionary and evangelistic program. 
During the entire period, Satan is prevented from causing the nations to destroy the life and the power of the church as it carries out its world missions, which according to Acts 21 is to open their eyes so that they may may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those that are sanctified by faith in Christ. Remember what Jesus promised his confessing church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Not may, not may sometime, but may not prevail against you. The gates of hell will not be able to resist the advance of the church with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there is absolutely nothing in this life, not even the power of Satan, that is preventing us from conquering the world with the gospel, except for our own negligence and laziness. Second, in the light of such passages as Romans sixteen fourteen, which says that God shall crush Satan's head under your feet shortly, and Luke 10, which says Jesus saw Satan fall while his disciples were preaching the gospel, it is important to understand that the chain is also the gospel and are bearing witness to its truth and power. After all, Revelation 12 does say, And they overcame him, Satan, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life to death. J. Marcellus Kick, who wrote the best book on Luke 20 and Matthew 24, and I highly recommend it to you. And he gave me the views that I actually have today. It's called An Eschatology of Victory. And he said this, It was through Christ's death that he would destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. The gospel is Christ died for the sins of his people. It is the cross, by the preaching of the cross, that Satan is destroyed, end quote. Beloved, believe that about the preached word. Believe that about your witnessing and about your testimony to this world. That is the way God keeps Satan crushed. Third, the sad truth is, however, that the church today does not realize or does not seem to realize the power that Christ has given us. Christ has placed in the church's hands the chains by which she can bind Satan She can restrain his influence over the nations with the gospel. But the church just sits and bemoans the fact that evil and lawlessness are increasing. But if the above exposition is is correct, who then is at fault? And let me conclude with a great quote by James Thornwell, who was a great Southern Presbyterian minister of the 19th century. Again, listen carefully. If the church could be aroused to a deeper sense of the glory that awaits her, she would enter with a warmer spirit into the struggles that are before her. Hope would inspire order. 
She would even now arise from the dust and like the eagle plume her pinions for loftier flights than she has yet taken. What she lacks and what every individual Christian lacks is faith. Faith in her sublime vocation, in her divine resources, in the presence and effectiveness of the spirit that dwells within her. Faith in the truth, faith in Jesus, and faith in God. With such a faith, there would be no need to speculate about the future. That would speedily reveal, it would reveal itself. It is our unfaithfulness, our negligence, and unbelief, our low and carnal aims that retard the chariot of the Redeemer. The bridegroom cannot come until the bride has made herself ready. Let the church be in earnest and greater holiness in her own members and in faith and love undertake the conquest of the world. And she will soon settle the question whether her resources are competent to change the face of the earth. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Amen.